Twiceborn Podcast. My name is Mike Bailey. On this episode, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and looking into the question, what does God want us to know about sharing our faith? There's a guide, study guide that goes along with this if you'd like to check that out. Also, you can see more information at twiceborn.org. I hope this is beneficial to your walk in your twiceborn life. God bless. We're going to begin in the Old Testament because the Old Testament is the mystery concealed. The New Testament is the mystery revealed. Uh, The Old Testament gives us the foundations, the building blocks that allow for the New Testament. The Old Testament is the declaration of the Messiah, Jesus. The New Testament is the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. And so in Isaiah chapter 61, if you have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. All these verses I go through are in our sermon-based study that you can get uh, at the doors, because we believe this is something to to study all week, not just on Sunday. Isaiah 61.1, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. And so here Isaiah has said, uh, the reason that I exist is to be a spokesperson. I'm, I'm much like a microphone. Uh, I'm speaking through this microphone right now to these speakers, and it's generating a message to you. He's saying, I'm that speaker. I'm just telling you what the God of creation wants you to know. Uh, one of the most amazing things to me is going to another country that speaks a different language, totally different background that I have, and yet when you talk about spiritual things, there's a connection. Do you know how many times this past week I would meet with a family and the tears would begin to fall from their eyes because the Holy Spirit was doing work in the heart? Because the the Holy Spirit doesn't worry about language. He doesn't worry about culture. Um, Those are not roadblocks for him. And so as you go to the Lord and and, and you allow the Holy Spirit to, to work through you, you begin to see as a messenger of God, I'm not the message I'm not the one to even be seen. It's the the God of creation, the Jesus who died on the cross. He is the one communicating to us this morning. He is the one wanting us to know that he is here for the poor. He is here for the brokenhearted. He is here to set the captives free. And what is the greatest prison that there is? What is? What is the greatest restriction in life? What is the thing that has caused all this problem in the world? You know, they have the same problems in Brazil that we have here. You know, talking to them, I have the same conversations about the struggles and, and, and issues of life that I have here in the United States because it's all rooted in one issue, the issue of sin. Sin has destroyed. Sin has corrupted. Sin has broken all that is good. Sin and its wages lead to death. And this morning we see a sin broken. It's such a beautiful, wonderful world. And yet even in the beauty and wonder, it's broken by sin. And Isaiah is saying, look, poverty is part of sin. Uh, If you're brokenhearted, it's because of sin. Uh, And you need to be liberated from all those things. And one day, see, we won't have the the fullness. The fullness is heaven. But we can be liberated from the issue of sin, not the the consequences because we still live in a sin-broken world, but we can be liberated from sin by the cross. That's why the cross is so valuable. Isaiah didn't have the cross, but he knew that the God of creation had a plan. He knew that God would provide and that that provision would be the cross. He didn't know it was the cross, but it was the cross. The cross liberated all of us. This morning, if you've confessed, 
Jesus is Lord and you believe that God has raised him from the dead, Jesus himself makes a promise to you that you'll be saved. You will be saved. Saved from an eternity separated from him. Saved from yourself. Saved from your own flesh. You will be saved. You'll get a transplant. You are dead and you need to be alive. And so we have this liberation and only God could give it to us. True liberty is freedom from the tyranny of the flesh. I love history, but I don't know it as well as a lot of people I know. On this trip, we had Steve Loy. He used to be a pastor here. Uh, now he, he kind of oversees this area. He is a history buff. He knows like dates and places and times, and he can just tell you at a, at a moment's notice exact history accounts. I can't do that as well. But I love history because it tells us the story, right? How did we get here? And we see in our culture, in our country, there was tyranny. We were being told something, and it was, it was hindering us. And it affected so many people that they were willing to fight for it. And I think all of us in this room realize there's a tyranny. Almost everyone I've ever talked to, I say, are you perfect? And almost all of them say, no, I'm not perfect. Is this world perfect? No. It's broken. This is a broken, imperfect world. We all know it's broken. We all know there's a tyranny amongst us. Many people confuse it and think the tyranny is good and they follow after it. But the tyranny of sin can only be liberated by Christ on the cross. And so today we have something to celebrate. We have something to be thankful for, something to be grateful for, something to say thank you to Jesus for, for setting us free from that tyranny. And so as we look at that and have that as the context of the verses today, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, here's what it says. This is the problem. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are not worldly, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Do you feel like a mere human today? <laughs> what a statement, right? Paul knows how to hit the mark. He knows how to tell us who we are. And what Paul's saying here to the Corinth church is, look, I love you. I know that many of you have received Christ. I know that many of you are believers, but you were born, and, and, and yes, you're alive spiritually, but you're still a little baby. You're still a little baby. And uh, I was thinking, we were meeting with parents. There's so many little kids in Brazil. I was thinking about when my kids were real small, and you have to change their diaper. You have to feed them. They need 100% of your attention. You can't just say, hey, you figure it out. I'll be back in a couple hours, right? You can't do that with a small child. A small child takes all of your attention all of the time. The goal for Christ in our life, what we're called to be as disciples of Christ, is where we grow and mature, where we become spiritual adults. Do you feel like a spiritual adult today? I think the challenge of our time and our culture is that we're so desperate to people get saved, sometimes we miss the fact that we're to make disciples, people that are the image and likeness of Christ. Those that are a reflection because the Holy Spirit of God begins to produce something in them. A love, a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness, a self-control that is not natural, but is of the Holy Spirit. And so we're called to something more than baby food. We're called to something more than being babied. 
We're called to grow up. And Paul's saying, look, you're, you're like the world because most of what you do is flesh-led, right? Do you know for me, the, most, the, the greatest revelation to me going on this trip is to see how much my flesh is really in charge. When you're tired and you're hungry and it's not the food you're used to and the schedule is changing all the time and people you don't understand because they're speaking a different language and it's called, you get irritated. See, it's easy to sit in a church right now. You know, this is, this is fairly simple, right? We're sitting here. Hopefully you're not thinking about lunch or something else right now. We're fairly comfortable. We're comfortable. But the truth is the Holy Spirit is more revealed when we're not comfortable than when we're comfortable. It's when we get squeezed a little bit. I, we used to say it's, you know, temptation always occurs when you're tired and you're hungry and you're stressed and you're angry. You get that bill in the mail you didn't know was a bill coming your way, right? Your, your child or someone you care about says something to you that just devastates you. You get a bad report from the doctor. All of these things are tension points and it squeezes us. And then what comes out? And so what he's saying is, look, you're just like the world because the world, how it reacts to everything is the flesh. What does the flesh tell me? Get angry, cuss it out, beat, you know, go after that person, get revenge. The flesh leads to death. And when you get squeezed, if, the, if you're worldly and the flesh is leading you and, and, and you haven't matured and you're not growing in your faith, then what will come out are the things of the world. And that's why when you drive, you know, as Christians, sometimes we're just like the world because we get so mad at people, right? You know, it, it, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And sometimes, sometimes uh, we don't live that way, right? And our challenge this morning, and, and I think the problem that they had was they got their focus in the wrong place. Their focus was on the world. And today, I can tell you, um, when you go to another country, people say, why would you do that? Why would you go to a dangerous place and, and get out of your comfort zone? And I, I would tell you this morning, and I want you to think about it. Is your comfort zone the safest place? Is it really the safest place? Is your comfort the safest thing for you? Or is obedience to the Lord the safest place for you? That's a hard question. That is, a, that is a difficult thing to answer. Is my comfort the thing that motivates me? Because if so, that's the flesh, right? If what makes me feel the most comfortable, most secure, happiest, and, and I've eliminated all of the friction in life, if that's outside of the hands of God, then I'm in the worst, most dangerous place I can be. And it'll hurt much worse when the day of wrath comes. And so this morning, we need to recognize liberty does not come from leaders or work. You see, what happened in the church there is they were following Apollos. They said, I'm a disciple of Apollos. I'm a disciple of Peter. I'm a disciple of Paul. And their identities were built in a person, not Christ. And so it's, I'm a Calvinist, right? Or I'm a this, or I'm a put the label on it. I follow this person and they define me. If you're here today, let me encourage you. Let Christ be your defining person. Anything else, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative, I'm a liberal, I'm a Democrat, I'm a this, I'm a that. If that defines you more than Christ, 
then you are a child in your faith. I, and I say that in love and empathy because that's where I have been and that's where I am at times. I make decisions like this identity is more important than my identity in Christ. It is a challenge to walk this path. You have to daily take your cross. You have to daily deny yourself. You have to daily renew your mind in God's word. You have to daily come to the Lord and say, change my thoughts to be your thoughts today. Change my ways to be your ways today. Don't let Mike and his flesh be leading and guiding because I know where that leads. I know where that goes. You know where your flesh will lead you, but yet we still submit to it at times. That's why that God is so patient with us that we would return back to him. And so they were following these individuals and Paul's like, you got to stop hero worshiping. You got to stop putting man in the place of God. That's what's keeping you a child in your faith. Because you want to exalt someone. One of the biggest tasks we had in Brazil is don't look at us as Americans coming here to save things. We are equals. We are brothers and sisters. I would say to them when we witnessed, look, um, my interpreter is my brother, more so than my actual brother that we're physically blood connected because we're spiritual brothers. You will become my brother. You will become my sister more so than any physical brother or sister I can have because we are one in Christ and there's no Jew, no Gentile, uh, no male, no female, no slave, no free. We are all one in Christ. We are no different than each other because we are his. And so he gives the answer in verses 5 through 9 of 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's interesting to me that here Paul lines up that someone's the evangelist, someone is the teacher, someone is the nurturer. We all have different roles and responsibilities. Not all of you in this room are called to go to Brazil, but you are called to pray. You are called to give. You are called to be committed to this body. Just because you didn't go there doesn't mean you're any less part of the family, any part of, less part of the mission. Because someone is called to, to plant the seed and someone is called to water the seed and someone is called to harvest the seed. And this is why in the church, um, I do my very best not to be the poster, poster boy for this church. When they look at this church, I want them to see Jesus. Um, I want them to see us, not me. We, not I. That this is about much bigger than any individual person. Um, it's not about the talent or the ability of an individual. It is their commitment to following Christ. Can they be obedient to the task that he created them for? Everyone in this room, if you've confessed and believed, you know Christ is your Savior. You've been given a gift and a task that he expects you to accomplish. And he's calling upon all of us today. Uh, if this was a, a class and there were only two A++ and everyone else had an F, we would be failing as a class. It would be better if we all had B's and C's as our grades in this class than for only one or two to be A+. It is the same thing. A church is as healthy as we recognize that we're all in this. And actually, every single one of you, if, if the liver decides, I have no place, I'm not as talented as the, the spleen, or I'm not as talented as the heart, so I'm just not going to do anything, I'm not going to you know, be participant, or I'm not going to be active, guess what happens to the body? Right? We are the body of Christ. Every single organ matters. Every single part of our body. I know I got a little, we were fishing on the Amazon, which is an amazing experience. Some gators there, some danger, right? Feel tough, like you're, you're really doing something. 
uh, my daughter had the hook and it went in my finger and it cut my finger. And all I could think about is I better not bleed and some giant creature come get me. Those gators sniff that blood or those, uh, uh, you know, the, the piranhas. You all hear about the piranhas. We saw these piranhas that were stuff that were scary looking. But that's just my little pinky. I don't need my little pinky. But yet all of my focus was on my little pinky, right? That little pinky affected everything. You know when you mess, you jam your little pinky on your foot and how you think about that the whole day? Because there's not a part of you that doesn't matter, right? There's no one in this room that is expendable. There's no one in this room. Even if you don't believe in Jesus today, we need you. We need you to be born again and join us as this body. Everyone in this community, we need them. We don't just hope they come here or it would be nice if they figured it out. No, we need them. That's why we can't be judging on the exterior. We can't say, well, there's no way they'll ever believe. Look at them. No, Christ turned Saul to Paul. He can change anybody. And so today, it can't be words. It has to be actions. It can't be us talking about this and not doing this. We all need to recognize in this room, if you're still a little baby spiritually, how can we help you grow? How can you help me mature? How can we be in this together? We're not here to judge. We're here to support. We're here to nurture each other so that we would grow and become what God wants us to be. What I learned on this trip is that God uses people to declare his liberty. That liberty from sin. In this picture, this is my son. And he's sharing the liberty of Christ to young people in Brazil. He's 15 years old. My daughter's 12 years old. They were sharing the gift of the liberty of Christ. We had a junior here, uh, Logan. He was declaring. He was, I'm so proud of him because he organized our VBS and he put the time. He was so diligent about making sure that we were doing a good job working with the kids. He's part of the family. We're all part of the family. If he doesn't do his part, we lack. If you don't do your part, we lack. We can't do what we're called to do. Someone has to water. Someone has to plant. Someone has to nurture. Someone needs to be tending these parts of the mission for it to be successful. And so we need each other. But the interesting thing is that out of all the things God could have used, he chose us to be his ambassadors. He chose us to be his speakers. He chose us for the world to look at. Do you know why most people don't go to church and don't believe in Christ? Not because of what Christ declared. There's few that would say it's because of Jesus. Most would be because of the people that follow Jesus and declare that they are his. And they say, I don't want to be like that. They're hypocrites. Um, they swindle. They abuse. They do horrible things and then turn around and say, well, I'm a Christian. You see, we carry a lot of weight. When God said, do not take my name in vain, it was more than just using his name as a cuss word. It was taking his name and not living in light of that truth not carrying his name. I am a Christian, a little Christ, though a, a one that is a disciple. He's my master teacher. I am his pupil. I am becoming more like him every day. When you look at me, you should see, oh, if Jesus lived Mike's life, this is what it would be like. When he looks at you, he should say, if Jesus had your life experience, this is what it would turn out to. That's discipleship. That's what it, we're here. That's the mission. That's what we're here to do. And this is what Paul is writing to the church and saying, please don't get this wrong. Please don't miss this. Because God uses people to declare his liberty. One of the greatest issues in our culture, one of the greatest issues in Brazil, one of the greatest issues, I think, for humankind 
is that we struggle with faith. We struggle with faith. And some people put faith in themselves, and hopefully you've put faith in Christ. But those are the only two you can put faith in. If I'm an atheist, I'm putting a faith in myself. If I'm a Buddhist, a Hindu, almost every world religion is works-based. I'm putting my faith in me. Even within Christianity and churches all over the country, it's a faith that I do enough good that God will receive me into his heaven. It's called works-based salvation. You do good enough, then God says, well, you're better than the rest. You can come in. You're not as bad as your brother or your sister, so you get to come in. No, that, that is a false teaching. That is what Jesus said. There'll be many false teachers. That is false. There's only one way to be righteous, and it is not self-righteous. It is Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. That is what we're called to take to the world. That's the gospel. The gospel is, you did not die, you were not buried, and you did not rise again. That's why you can't get to heaven by yourself. He had to die. He had to be buried. And he had to rise again. 2,023 years ago, all of time based on this guy, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This morning, as we look at this truth, do we realize that he is our answer? Ephesians, Ephesians 2.8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. It is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Liberty is found... Liberty is found in Jesus, not good works. You are not liberated from hell. You're not liberated from sin because you're good enough or you've done enough good things to mark off. You are liberated from sin because Christ died for you. The people of Brazil, the people of the United States, your neighbor, everyone you've ever met, the only way they will be liberated from sin is by the work of Christ on the cross for them. Do we recognize that this morning? It starts with me. Have I been liberated? And am I sharing this with others? Good works are the effect of faith, not the cause. Do you know how many people I've met that have that reversed? Do you know, if you really get into spiritual conversations, the vast majority of people have this idea reversed. They would say that the cause is good works, the effect is salvation. If I'm good enough, if I obey enough rules, if I do what the church tells me to, if I put money in the offering, if I say the right prayers, if I show up enough times, if I'm not as bad as the people around me, um, there's just this litany of things. If I check them off and I get the right answer, God will say, well done, welcome in. In actuality, when you read the scripture, he said, depart from me, I never knew you. All those things you did for your own glory, for your own edification. You did not do that for me, you did that for yourself. And he says, look, until you recognize that and you repent of that, can you truly receive the gift of life, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life? Paul ends his letter, 1 Corinthians 3.21, so let, this part of his letter, <laughs> so let no one boast in human leaders, right? There's only one leader, Christ. For everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Caiaphas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours 
because you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. What a powerful statement. I mean, that, we should read that all the time. Um, everything is mine, not because of me. That's liberating. We live in a world where we work so hard to determine the outcome. I've got to, I've got to achieve this. I've got to do this. If my life is going to matter, I've got to get to here. And so we're always working so diligently on the outcome, not recognizing that it's not our role to determine the outcome. Our role is to be faithful to the, to the Father, and He will determine the outcome. He will determine the outcome. That is, do you know how that should be liberating, right? How much pressure that takes off, how much release of I don't have to do it, he's done it for me. My calling is to follow him and to love him more today than I did yesterday. And the more I follow and love and, 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 and be committed to him, he is the one who's responsible for the results. As a father, I can't force my children to love Jesus. As a husband, all I can do is love the way Christ loves. All I can do is share the way Christ shares. He has to determine the outcome. As a pastor, I can't grow this church. I can't do the things that only God can do, but I can be faithful in what he tells me to do. To love him with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and to, to submit to him and say, whatever the result is, I will give it to you. He's not looking for those who have all this uh, all these abilities. He's looking for availability. And so this morning as we've gathered here, do we recognize that liberty is only found in Jesus? We celebrate Lady Liberty. We celebrate the birth of a nation that brought freedoms that had never been seen on the face of the planet until these last three, four hundred years. And yet there's something greater than that liberty. It's the liberty that Christ established on the cross. And when we receive that liberty and we embrace that liberty and we allow ourselves every morning and every lunchtime and every evening to say, thank you, God, I've been set free. I do not need to live in fear. I do not need to live in regret. I do not need to live in depression because I'm asking, Lord, that you would fall upon me and give me hope and grace today. And so this morning, as we've gathered here, do you recognize that in your life? When you celebrate the 4th of July and you see those fireworks going off, ask the Lord to give you an eternal vision. Give you the eyes that can see beyond the physical and see the spiritual. When you see your child, when you see your neighbor, when you see that person that's in the car next to you or in the line next to you, ask the Lord to give you his vision of them. See them as people that God made in his image that he died for and desires to be part of their life, desires to, to, to show himself so that they can be his children. How do you apply that to your life? How do we actually do this? I believe first we need to thank Jesus for liberty. Have you ever thanked him, like said, God, thank you that I am set free from sin. Thank you that, that I know where I'm going when I die. You know, it says in John that these things have been written that we may know we have salvation. So many people I have talked to say, I hope I have salvation. Well, I'm trying to make sure salvation works. I, I think maybe. But John says, I can know it. Knowing something is solid ground to build your life on. Knowing something is a foundation I want. And so I need to be, the, one of the ways that solidifies my knowledge is by thanking God for it. 
God, this is amazing that you would do, that you would humble yourself and love me. Even though I was an enemy of you in sin, you loved me and died for me. Second, confess sin. Many of us don't hear from God. Many of us live in the flesh because we have sin. He has brought to our, our minds and our hearts and we've refused to confess it. We've said, no, I'm not, I can't confess that. Because if I confess it, um, that pain and that power will be released and I want to hold on to that. I want to hold on to that anger. I want to hold on to that bitterness. I don't want you to, to take that from me. Sounds strange, but we can all relate. Confessing of sin on a regular basis is one of the healthiest things we can do. Being grateful and forgiving and confessing are the medicines for a healthy spiritual life. The problem is we talk about it and don't do it. And I need to do it, and you need to do it, and we need to be open with each other. It says confess your sins one to another so that we may have healing and growth and health in our spiritual walks. Pursue Jesus daily. Pursue him in the morning and the afternoon and the evening. One of the interesting things, Jesus said, come follow me. It was movement. Go where I, I will send you to the nations. Go. It's movement. It's never stagnant. He's saying, follow me today. Walk with me through the garden. I'm going to teach you new things. I'm going to show you what life is about. Share that with others. Share your faith. I mean, you go on a trip where you get to share your faith the whole time, it reminds you of how little you share your faith in your regular life. If I had the cure for, for cancer, and I said, look, I just don't want to be embarrassed, or I don't have the time to share this because I got so much else going on in my life, you would see me as a tyrant and an evil person. And yet, the answer for sin and death is there. And he calls us to share it. He calls us to be liberating those that are, in, in the confines of sin, those who are in prison to sin so that they may have eternal life. And then finally, commit to live in the Spirit. Commit to living in the Spirit. Recognize your flesh. What is my flesh? My flesh is easily angered. My flesh gets irritated easily. My flesh is lustful. My, my flesh is prideful. My, my, my flesh is arrogant. My flesh doesn't have time for other people. My flesh is self-centered. My fl flesh is focused on, on my own achievements and my own ability. Once I recognize how many areas of my life have been saturated by the flesh, it becomes much easier to say, Holy Spirit, take that from me. Holy Spirit, eliminate that. I confess it, that I believe it. I know that this is, has affected me and I don't want it to affect me anymore. And then continue to do that. Continue to do that, and the Lord will work in your life. But you have to seek after him, and you have to be committed. I think about the Revolutionary War. Most of those soldiers were farmers, right? They were common folk. And the interesting thing is, as, as we read in Corinthians, that God takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, right? He takes the weak to confound the strong. And so this morning, this morning, what are you willing to give to the Lord and say, I'm committed no matter what. I'm committed in my marriage. I'm committed as a father. I'm committed as an employee. I'm committed as a grandparent. I'm committed as a neighbor. I'm committed as a citizen of this country to following you and being spirit-led, not flesh-led in everything that I do. So we've read from God's word this morning. The question is, what is God telling you right now?
What is he saying to your heart? God can speak to your heart in a way that no one else can. He speaks directly to you. And he desires for you to receive it, to embrace it, but then also to move with whatever he says.